My, that was good singing this morning. Amen? Well, it's not only good singing this morning. It's always good singing every time that we're here. That's right. Amen. Thank God for the singers and the players on instruments. What a blessing it is to be in Zion this morning. I want to uh, thank all of you for praying for me while I was in the hospital this week. I almost made the trip, but I'm thankful to God and thankful to you for your prayers. I felt them and I know that they made a difference. If you have your Bible, turn to John, the 20th chapter. John, the 20th chapter. Jesus has just resurrected. And Mary Magdalene and the others are all running all over the place. And they came to the tomb and they found that it was empty. And... We're going to pick it up in verse 11. Well, let's pick it up in verse 10. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. They all came to the tomb, but nobody found Jesus yet. But they found it empty, and they didn't know what to think. They had all kinds of feelings about a lot of things. But Mary stood, uh, then the disciples went away again under their home. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. And she seeth two angels in white sitting the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. You look at that and you say, okay, it was one Jesus, there was one angel sitting at the head and the other angel sitting at his feet. No big deal, but it is a big deal. Why? Because Jesus said, if you've got a situation and you don't know what's going on or you've got a claim or a problem with somebody, get two witnesses. Those angels were witnesses to the greatest thing that ever happened in the world. Jesus had risen from the dead. So that's not just coincidentally in there. And the one at the feet and the other was at his head. Verse 13. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when Jesus had thus said, she turned her back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. She still didn't know. 
And you and I will never know whether it's Jesus or not until he reveals himself unto each and every one of our hearts. No man can come to God except God reveals himself. Don't miss it when God's visitation comes your way and God knocks on your door. Don't miss that visitation because you might miss the greatest moment your life has ever received. And she knew not, verse 14, that it was Jesus. Jesus said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father and to my God and your God. The words of our Lord here in this text, for many have become quite perplexing. We find them, however, that if we dig a little deeper, the words of our text are profound. They are pure gold, and they are amazing admonition for all Christians today. One thing we must never forget is that God's love is aimed at us. It's a love like no other love in the world. It's a love that's filled with mercy and compassion and long-suffering. So being Italian, I looked up the Italian translation of verse 17, and it says, Maria, non me." You'll catch up in a minute. You heard me say it many times. God loves us, church, too much to leave us where he finds us. If you think you are going to have an encounter with Jesus Christ, and then he's going to walk away and leave you where he found you, you have got another thing coming. In no way, at no time, is Jesus ever going to leave you on just that level. He is always going to be prodding you and encouraging you and wooing you and visiting you and, and, and dealing with you and impressing you through his spirit 
to keep moving higher and higher and higher. If you think you can become a Christian and then just sit down and coast the rest of your way, you don't even know what a Christian is all about this morning. Amen? So no matter where you are this morning in life, whether you're up or down, whether you're in or out, whether you're right or wrong, the loving eyes of God run to and fro throughout the whole earth to find that one whose heart is perfect towards him. That is what God is looking for out of you and me. God's looking for that one who has that perfect heart. And until he finds that kind of a heart, you're never going to ever know him. Think about it. You talk about a woke experience. I was deaf, dumb, blind, and lost in sin, and suddenly I was in a lifestyle altogether different than how I was used to living. I kept hearing the whisper in my soul, Italian translations again. The Spirit of God kept dealing with me. After I got saved, known you touch of that, known you say of that, known you looky at that. Uh, you be a good a boy. God love you so much. He no leave you where he find you. And we all learn quickly, don't we? We all learn quickly that we don't often say yes to being pulled into God's will. Because prior to being saved... We've all sang Sinatra's song, I did it my way. We're creatures of habit. Amen? We don't understand that when we become the children of God, we are babes in Christ. And just like real babes in Christ... They have to learn how to transition from crawling to walking. It's easier saying yes to our flesh. It's easier saying yes to the lust of the flesh, to the lust of the eyes, and to the pride or the woke up stinking pride of life. That's why Jesus said, if any man come unto me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Look at that phrase in verse 13. She's crying because they have taken away her Lord. Even though her Lord had died, Mary still wanted to be close to him. And here we have a risen Savior, a living Savior, and many believers today don't even have a little anxiety when the presence of God drifts away from them. But here was a woman who had a heart that was perfect towards God. 
She came to the grave to go ahead and, 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 and deal with him and, and perfume him up and to say her final goodbyes, to pay her final reverence to God. Maybe it would be a good idea when we go through seasons of Christ's absence in our lives to examine our souls and ask ourselves, what in the world has taken away my Lord from me? Look at the questions our Lord asked Mary in verse 15. Two questions that hit the heart. Why are you crying and what are you looking for? Perhaps we need to pay more attention to the unhappiness of our own lives and ask ourselves, what are we looking for? The first question Jesus asked his disciples after his baptism with John the baptism in John 1.38 was, what seek ye? What are you looking for? And then all the way through his life and his ministry and through his resurrection, the first thing he says to Mary is, what are you looking for? Why the question? Why the question? Because we are a people always trying to find peace and happiness in the wrong world. Jesus made it clear. You can gain the whole world, but if you lose your soul, what shall it profit you? Lasting happiness can never be found in this world. Jesus used the same strategy when he talked to the woman at the well. He said, if you drink from the well, this well, the water that I give you, not this well, you'll never thirst again. Because whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. If you really want to be happy and really be satisfied and really be fulfilled in your life, you're not going to find it in this world. You're going to have to look up into the next world or you'll go on throughout life being disappointed and unfulfilled. So right after she thinks she's talking to the gardener, then Jesus reveals himself to her. And he calls her by name, Mary. And immediately, she recognizes his voice. And in jubilee, she cries out, Rabboni and uh, Rabboni, and she wraps herself around his feet, and Jesus snaps back, Don't touch me. 
And now it looks like a bad ending to a great story and everybody is running to the exits. You would think Jesus would have given her a high five. You would have thought that Jesus would have given her a little COVID elbow bump. You would have thought Jesus might have given her the peace sign. No, none of that. He says, Mary, don't touch me. And all the readers are shocked. And what they perceive to be rude and chilling response was really good news from the mouth of our Savior. In Luke 24, 39, Jesus stood in the midst of his disciples after the resurrection and he said, behold my hands and my feet, that it is me, it is I myself, handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones. What about to, uh, Thomas, who wouldn't believe until he touched a resurrected Jesus in the same chapter? Look at verse 26 and 28. Jesus said to Thomas, here, take your finger and put it into my hands, and take your fingers and put it into my side. And when, Dave, and, when, and when Thomas did that, he said to himself, my Lord and my God. He wouldn't believe until he actually had seen a living Savior. Several people, the point I'm making is, several people touch Jesus all the time. Everybody was touching him. So how do we make sense that Jesus refused to allow Mary to touch him in verse 17? To get the proper understanding of Jesus' words, touch me not. We need to look at the deeper meaning of the word touch. The root word of touch means don't cling to me. Mary, don't hold on to me. But that sounds, when you think about it, like a good thing, a nice thing to do. Hold on to Jesus. So what's Jesus really driving at here? Mary... You're going backwards on me. A greater experience of fellowship is awaiting you 40 days from now when through the coming of the Holy Spirit, I won't only be someone you knew, but through my Spirit, I will dwell within you. Amen. Mary, the time has come. I'm no longer going to live in a box. I'm no longer going to live in a tent. I'm no longer going to live in a tabernacle. I'm no longer going to live in a temple. I am going to live in you and everybody else whose heart is perfect towards me. From the very beginning, God was after one thing, and that was to get into your heart and your life and my heart and my life. Stop and think about it. It blows your mind. 
So Jesus says, go now, Mary. Tell the world it is finished. Tell the world, whosoever will, let them come to these living waters. Let go of who I've been to, all of you, a friend, and go tell the world Jesus saves. Notice when Mary sees Jesus, she calls him rabbi. She calls him a teacher. It's not that these titles are not correct. But now, after the resurrection, he's the rabbi of all rabbis. He's the teacher of all teachers. He's a risen savior. He has conquered sin, Satan, and the world, and death. He's not just anymore, Mary, a good teacher or a good prophet who went about doing good. He is now the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And all power and dominion has been given to him, Mary. I'm not just a rabbi, a good man, a carpenter from Nazareth. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. Mary, I am the Son of God. I am the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. What Mary needed in that moment was a greater revelation of who Jesus was and what he was ordained to become. Thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, being interpreted, God is with us. What's happening? Mary was wanting to go back to the way it was, but she was going backwards. He's a resurrected Savior. He's the only true and living God that ever came into this world. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. Mary, you're wanting to go back to the way it was when we used to run around together. That's going backwards. Mary, go and tell the disciples that I am risen. And the danger all Christians are vulnerable to is they believe they know all there is to know about God. That's kind of where Mary was. And we like to think that all the standards and doctrines that we teach are exactly what Jesus believes. So when Jesus said, Mary, don't cling to me, he was trying to get Mary to see the bigger picture of what is resurrection really accomplished for her. Their earthly relationship was just the beginning of a never-ending glorious relationship with the Godhead. People want to cling to the Jesus who they like most. They want to cling to the Jesus who thinks just like them. They want to cling to the Jesus who votes just like them. They want to cling to their idea uh, of what Jesus is instead of the Bible's idea of who Jesus is. 
What are you talking about? People are clinging to the kind of Jesus they want instead of the kind of Jesus that they really need. So that's why you hear all these expressions. God loves us too much to send us to hell. That's the kind of Jesus that I'm looking for. God is love, and me and my same-sex partner, we love each other. And how can love be wrong? God understands. It's my body and my right to do what I want to with my body. It's called freedom. It's constitutionally right. God knows nobody can be holy. I'm not going to try to be perfect. If Jesus were here, he would like the things that I like. Millions of souls are clinging to a Jesus who reflects their values, their ideas. That's the worst thing you can do. Why? Because his thoughts are so far above our thoughts as the heavens are above the earth's. Stop and think about it. Multitudes of believers, instead of conforming to God's image, are trying to conform God to their image. One author wrote, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you hate. You know how easy it is to create your own God? You can't look any other place for what Jesus is really like except in the word of God and accept what he reveals to each and every one of us. So Mary wanting to cling to an ascending Jesus, she would have missed the greater experience that was just 40 days up the road, and that was receiving the promise of the Holy Spirit baptism. Mary couldn't let go of that human Jesus and the familiarity of her earthly relationship she had with him. Mary thought things were going to go back to the way they were. But Jesus loves us too much to let us go backwards in our walk with him. Walking with God in whatever period of time humanity lived, God had only one goal, and it's never changed. God was after one thing, and it never changed. From the time he created, he created the first man to this present hour, God is after one thing. And that one thing is, be ye holy, for I am holy. In the Old Testament law of God, everything, the whole Bible, Everything was trying to get us from a higher level. From the days in the garden 
and after and all the way up to this present hour, God is continually trying to get you and I to go higher. In the Old Testament law of God, it was a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. In the New Testament, every believer became the temple of the Holy Ghost. Mary, touch me not. Stop clinging to me. But tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, becoming the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. I'm through with living, Mary. I'm through with boxes and temples and tabernacles. I'm through with it all. I want one place to live, and that's in your heart. So stop trying to take me back to the days when we used to hang out and go down to the lake and be with the disciples and we used to go to Watts and enjoy a good lunch. Stop taking me back to the days, the good old days. Things are going to get better and better and better. Now go and tell the disciples, I'm alive. If you're thrilled because I'm alive, Mary, just wait until Pentecost when I move into your hearts through the power of the Holy Ghost. Mary, stop your crying. Mary, your future is brighter than ever. This is what our Lord is trying to teach us. There is no rebuke here. All Jesus is saying is, I am in the transition of ascending back to my Father. I'm going to sit on the right hand of God and I'm going to be an interceder for all of my children. But Mary, I got some business to take care of right now in this world and that is I've got to show myself to over 500 people. I want the disciples to see that I am alive. Go now and tell the disciples in all the ages to come that because I live, they also shall live. Mary, don't touch me. Start walking in my spirit and you'll never fulfill the lust of the flesh again. My death has brought sorrow. But God has turned it into the greatest victory the world will ever know. The facts of the text are profound and they're momentous. The change wrought by Christ's death opened the door for a more closely continued relationship than ever with God than Mary and the disciples had before his resurrection. It is important we understand the transition period between, between, between Christ's death and burial and resurrection and his ascension. It was imperative that Jesus reveal himself alive and well to his disciples. Unchanged after his death and resurrection, Else how would they believe it, was, it really took place? For those 40 days, what was going on? Jesus had a glorified body, but he also had 
a human body. And he ate fish. There was something going on in that transition. What was going on? After his resurrection, our Lord's body, although in structure and appearance was the same as before, it was different in its essential form. It was now a supernal body, a body that was fitted for heavenly as well as earthly activity. It was no longer bound by the law of physical gravitation, nor was it bound or limited by travel conditions or distances and mileage. It could be visible or invisible, on or off the earth, here or there or anywhere in an instant. Instant. What happened? Jesus said, go tell the disciples. And in a moment, he walks in and there they all are in the room. The doors are locked. And a supernal body walks right through the walls. He had that kind of a body during that transition period because if he had not revealed himself to his disciples, they would have had a great difficulty trying to preach the resurrection of a living Lord. It was a necessity that Jesus showed himself over and over again to his disciples. He wasn't trying to prove anything. He wasn't trying to satisfy the hearts and minds of gainsayers. He was showing himself to those who loved him. And it was their job to go and preach the gospel and let everybody know that Jesus saves. Mary only knew his voice when he revealed it to her. He first called her woman, but when he called her Mary, he fully re revealed himself to her, and she lunged at his feet. Jesus still knew her, as in the days before the resurrection, and so does he know and love each of us by name. On that resurrection morning, our Lord was revealed, not discovered. Only as our Lord reveals himself to us can we know him. He only reveals himself when we seek him with our whole heart, with the same intensity that Mary sought him is the same intensity that we will need to have God reveal things to us. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, And ye shall seek me, and ye shall find me, when ye shall search for me with all of your heart. And Luke 24, on the road to Emmaus, you all know the story. Two strangers were walking away from Jerusalem. They were heartbroken. Oh, we thought it was he that was going to go ahead and deliver Israel. And Jesus came up to him and said, 
what are you talking about that your countenances are so sad? And they started to tell him, are you a stranger in this land? They didn't even recognize Jesus. And so they went and on and walked seven, eight miles to their home. And Jesus made it look like he was going to just keep going. And he would have. But they said, wait, don't go. It's late. Come on in and have fellowship with us. And Jesus went in. And he took the bread. And after he prayed, he broke it. And after he broke it, he revealed himself to those two on the road to Emmaus. And they knew immediately that it was Jesus. And immediately with a supernal body, he vanished out of their sight. And they said to one another, oh, we ought to have known that it was him because did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us along the way? And for any who may feel unworthy to serve the Lord because they were so ungodly during their lives of sin, Mary's life and testimony is a great encouragement. Mary was a converted prostitute. She was down and out Oh, but how she loved Jesus when he saved her. And Jesus chose her as the first evangelist to preach Christ is risen from the grave. Here she was, a prostitute. Here she was, the scum of the earth. Salvation can change you in such a way it, people will look at you and not even have the slightest idea that you were living such a life before you met the Lord. Jesus revealed himself first to Mary Magdalene. Notice he didn't reveal himself to Peter or John or even his mother. Why? to remove any suspicions of favoritism according to human relationships. At the foot of the cross, we are all on the same level. No big eyes and no little use. Jesus reveals himself to those who linger the longest looking for him. Everybody in this service can receive wonderful, shocking changes in their lives and break every addiction and demonic power that binds them when they can say from the heart, Lord, save me. I'm tired of running. I'm going to close. We must learn how to let go of the world's ideas of who Jesus is, of man-made 
religion's ideas of who Jesus is. We must let go of our family projections of who Jesus is. Jesus is the fullness of God. If you want to know what God is like, he's like Jesus. That's why he said everywhere he went to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've heard me, you've heard the Father. You want to know what God is like? You want to know what God likes and hates? You want to know what is right and wrong? You want to know who's right and who's wrong? Read the Bible. Read the Bible. You want to know about all these things that are going on in our world and all these laws that are being legalized and they're all an abomination to God? Read the Bible. And you'll know who's right. And you'll know what's right. Mary had to let go of what she was familiar with. She latched on to Jesus' feet, thinking things are going to go back to normal. Oh, she was so excited, we're going to go back to normal. Here's the point. We never can go backwards in our walk with God. We've got to learn how to leave this world alone. Leave bad company alone. Leave carnal entertainments alone. Leave foul language alone. Leave the worst experiences of your past alone. Jesus said in Luke 9, any man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Mary, you're you're looking the wrong direction. Too many Christians are content with easy believism and would rather keep Jesus with them where they are half in and half out. Half in the world and half out of the world. And the same thing Jesus is saying to Mary, he's saying to a lot of Christians today. Stop clinging to religions who are not taking you where I can take you. And you know what that merry mentality will do? You know what it'll do to you? It will keep you. It will keep you adjusting your life over and over and over again. It will keep you compromising over and over again and it will keep you dealing with your shortcomings and your addictions and your bad habits and your attitudes and your sins and your excuses over and over and over again. And professing yourself to be a Christian the whole time, your life is just going backwards and backwards while you are wearing a Christian label the whole time. Jesus loves us too much to leave us where he finds us. You get saved and you still swear? 
you're going backwards. You get saved and you come and serve God whenever you want to, you're going backwards. You pray when you end up in an emergency room only, you're going backwards. Jesus is not going to leave any of us where he found us. You've got to keep walking. You've got to keep obeying. You've got to keep following the Savior. And you've got to keep moving upward and onward. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a rebuke. It is a strong rebuke to failures and defeats and lives that have learned to live in sin. Because the Bible says whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You don't have to learn how to live with the same miseries and failures of life over and over. The resurrection so says no to lives who can't overcome the world. Jesus says to Mary, don't cling to me now. Get a life and let me give you a future that will just keep getting brighter and brighter and brighter. It is, Mary, a world without end. How many, as I close, are in churches this morning all over the world and are saying to themselves, something's missing. My life is still empty. I can't escape my addictions. My life is miserable. My kids are out of control. My marriage is going sour. My life has been taken over by the world. The resurrection says no. As long as Jesus lives, there is hope. There is a future waiting to explode with opportunities and blessings from on high for every soul that has a heart perfect towards God. Resurrection power is just waiting to change your life and give you victory every hour of every day of your life. America is in a state of believing these days they will always be defeated, depressed, discouraged, doped up, and woke down. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ says no to every liar, every lie, every demon, every devil, every deception and deceiving spirit in the world because there is power and authority in Jesus Christ to set anybody free who has a heart perfect towards him. So you people who keep swearing and keep telling little lies and keep doing shady business, you're being left behind. We must be holy, dear brethren. We must be holy. This country has dumbed down Christianity to a level where it's, un it's ungodly. Mary, will you let me take you into my world now? Mary, will you let me take you 
into a world without end? Then go and tell the disciples, I'm alive. Get beyond your despair and failures and misconceptions and go and let's conquer the world together. Why do you think this world is so spiritually weak and powerless today? It's because, like Mary, they want what is familiar to them and they want to walk by sight instead of faith. Too many want to be in control of their lives when the Bible said it is not in the man, in, in man to direct his own steps. You want to live in the presence of God? You want to live continually having God reveal to you truths and revelations? You want to continue to live and be thrilled by the awesomeness of God? You want to be able to find that godliness with contentment that the Bible said is great gain? Then Mary, don't cling to the way it was. Step out and trust God. Give him your heart and let your eyes observe his ways. Sherm, come on if you will, song leader, pianist. You've got to keep trusting and keep walking, church, in obedience to God's leading and God's word. And the power of God will take you through it all. And in the end, will take you safely home. You see, we're used to having things our way. Mary wanted to go back. She wanted to go back to that which was so familiar to her. She didn't want to take the risk. She didn't want to step out and trust God. She didn't want to believe that God has something greater for her than this old world could even come close to giving her. Am I talking to anybody this morning who, like Mary, a good person, but she was looking backwards and she was wanting to go back to what was easier and what was so familiar to her instead of the excitement and the life that Jesus wanted to give her. A more abundant life. That's where a lot of Christianity is this morning. Sad to say, they want it easier. They don't want a preacher to dig around them. They don't want the preacher to bring up things that would be a little personal. They don't want no preacher to meddle. But did not Jesus meddle with the woman at the well? He said, go get your husband. And she said, I don't have one. 
He said, yeah. And the five that you had before him, they weren't your husband's right either. If you want to be a child of God and get to heaven, this book will get into your life and into your spirit and into your heart so deeply that it will either make you or break you. But God's after one thing. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Amen? We used to look at that text and say, oh, no, Mary, you can't grab onto him. You can't touch him. He's got his glorified body. Not true. He had a supernal body, one that he could deal on earth for 40 more days. And then when he ascended, he shed that earthly image now he's on the right hand of God interceding for you and me, pleading with God to be merciful to us and to be long-suffering with us and to help us get home safely. Amen? Amen. Brother Sherman, what do we have? You've been a great audience. You've been very attentive. I've probably taken myself a little beyond my limit this morning. but I just couldn't wait to share this text with you. Would you like to stand? And I ask you this as we sing. We're not going to keep you long. Is there anybody here whose heart needs to be adjusted and become more perfect towards God? Is there anybody here who dares to trust Jesus and dares to let Jesus take the reins of their life and really believes that Jesus can give us a much greater life than if we had to direct our own lives ourselves. God bless you as we sing.